I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Rays make another player transaction, only this time they add a player. It's outfielder Carlos Gomez. Cargo, one year, $4 million. Hey, could this plan actually work? We have more reaction from Chris Archer, and Dickie V says this about the Rays. They're not awesome, baby. Also, we were introduced to New Bucks defensive line coach Brinson Buckner. They got a story about how the Bucks' great defensive line shaped his career and an interview that you won't want to miss with Brinson Buckner coming up. All that and more on Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with our producer Steve Versnick. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. This is your place for Tampa Bay sports talk. And before we get started, I want to uh, tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this show, you'll get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash sports day to take advantage of the deal. Now, Audible is owned by Amazon. It's the leading provider of digital audiobooks. What does that mean to you? Well, they've got over 180,000 titles to choose from. Unlike streaming, you own your own book, so once they've been downloaded, you can even listen to them offline. That's audibletrial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook. So when we left, last, last left the Rays, I should say, easy for me to say, um, they were in the process of pretty much getting rid of everybody. Um, the Steven Souza trade, I think, shook some people up, not to mention, you know, Jake Odorizzi and dfa Corey Dickerson. And so you you had a a franchise that was uh, sort of relocating one player at a time, as we said the other day. Well, today they sort of reversed that trend. They actually added a player. It's veteran outfitter Carlos Gomez. It's a name that uh, baseball people know pretty well. And it was a uh, a one-year deal. And for for the Rays, you know, a a pretty costly contract. I mean, $4 million. And I guess uh, I don't know if he passed his physical. He still still has to do that. Um, now, you know, obviously Gomez helps them, uh, fill the outfield spot left by the trade of Steven Souza Jr. Um, but there's still, I, I think the day began with, with this dizzying amount of trades and, and even before they got Carlos Gomez, we still had the team spokesman, Chris Archer, trying to react to, to all that, uh, all that has happened. So what about those trades, Chris? It's hard to have thoughts right now. Um, a lot has happened. In the last seven days, um, actually the entire offseason, but a lot has ha- happened in the last seven days, and I'm just trying to digest it. Um, it's it's hard to know what what we got from the trade, what that's going to pan out to be, but um, I'm I'm still digesting. And now he's digesting a new player that they're going to offer. Um, look, I mean, the Rays did say, and if you take them at their word. They think, at least for now, and, and I'd be curious what's going to happen to someone like Alex Colomay, a closer that they may or may not need, uh, that would seem to have value. But they, they say for now that sort of the bloodletting is over, that they were going to add some people, and they just did add 
Carlos Gomez. Again, it's it's sort of a one it's a one year deal, so it's not somebody that's going to be the core of this team. But until some of the younger players get up, and Mark Tompkin had a good uh, story or analysis in the Tampa Bay Times about, and this is a thought that has not crossed my mind. What if this works? Like, is there any chance this could work? And uh, you know, you still have uh, you know a, a fairly decent outfield. I mean, starting with a platinum. You know, glove winner and in, in um, Kevin Kiermaier and then uh, Denard Span could play some left field and a, a pretty good infield. Uh, you would think they could put together. I don't know if they're going to hit enough, but Wilson Ramos, good catcher, looks to be in better shape this year, coming off a, a year removed now from his injury, and in a pitching staff that I think most would think, you know, from a starting standpoint, they can they can still hang with with anyone, despite losing Odorizzi. So. It's it's a thought that has not crossed my mind, quite frankly, with all these departures, and uh, and, and I think that at this point, players like Archer are you know trying to decide you know just what they should do with this information. But so Archer was asked, you know, is this is this discouraging for you as a player? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to be optimistic. I'm going to go out here and give it everything that I have, and encourage other guys to do the same. But. Um, you know, on a personal level, it, it's it is discouraging. But on a professional level, in between the lines, we still have a job to do. Um, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, we have a job to do. So I'm going to go out there and do my job. KK's going to do his job, and the other 23 guys are going to do their job too. And hopefully, it's a successful season. Hopefully it's successful, although I will say this about Archer. He is so demonstrative on the mound, and at times, uh, you know, if a play is not made sometimes, you kind of wonder, you know, what his teammates think of him. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, when things aren't going well, he's going to have to really try to control uh, what could be a long season, and he's had those before. Uh, but he's right. There's nothing he can do about it. He's got to go out there and perform, and he may or may not be uh, one of those players that gets traded down the road. We don't really know. In fact – Here's a good question for Chris Archer that was asked, and that is, has he asked to be traded? Has he thought about wanting to be traded? I haven't given that a whole lot of thought. I do love this organization, and I do want to be a part of whatever's going to happen in the future. Um, I, I definitely want to see the fruit of the, the adversity. Know what I mean? I wanna, I wanna, I wanna reap the benefits of the transition process. Um, there's guys that are like Brandon McKay and um, Jesus Sanchez and Genesis Cabrera that I wanna play with just as much as I wanna play with Honeywell and Willie and and everybody else. So I wanna be a part of it. You know, I think it would be really fun. I, I don't wanna lose. There, there's no question about that. Um, I mean, I'm 29 years old. I've had, I've had four consecutive. I've been a part of four consecutive losing seasons. It's not fun. Um, I don't want to continue that, but I do want to be a significant piece of of these guys' career. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, it's the start of something good when you're waiting for Genesis, Genesis Cabrera. There's a name I have not heard in the Rays uh, minor leagues. That, uh, and again, a lot of these guys will not probably not start the year The Jake Bowers and um, the Willie Adamases and some of those guys may not start the year in Tampa Bay, but they're absolutely going to, going to try to, you know, move towards the future and move towards 
uh, building a younger core. And, and for that reason, I don't know how Carlos Gomez fits into that. He's certainly just a Band-Aid, just a stopgap guy to try to replace Sousa to so be able to line up and play. Um, but it's it's been it's been a tough tough week tough uh, start of the of the season for Rays fans and there is probably no bigger Rays fan than Dick Vitale the guy that sits next to the visiting team dugout has ever since the start of the Rays back in 1998 you see him all the time of course on ESPN college basketball but he is uh, one of the area's biggest Rays fans and his heart's breaking right now along with a lot of other people so. Here's what Dickie V had to tell 620 WDAE. He wants a new owner. Yeah, sell it to somebody that wants to win and compete. I'm going to see competition. Are we going to see competition? What the Yankees are doing, the Red Sox are doing, you look at the Blue Jays, the Orioles. How are we going to beat those clubs? What are we headed for? Are we looking forward to a season where right now other teams are thinking about winning and we're thinking about, well, maybe we could avoid 100 losses. Maybe we'll only lose 95 or 97 or 98. I mean, it is just frustrating daily. I read Mark Popkin, who does a great job, great job about the race. I read that, Roger Mooney and these guys and do a great job. and It breaks my heart because every time you don't see any good news, you don't see anything coming out of there that you say, wow. It crushed me that we got rid of Longoria. There is no way in the world Longoria should not have finished his career here. Tell me about the money. Tell me all that. Don't own the team. If you don't have the cash to play with the big boys, don't own the team. <laughs> Ouch, babe. Ouch, Dickie V. Passion, man. What do you think of that, Steve? He's never been lacking passion. No, not at all. Not at all. I tell you, I love to read Rick Stroud. I read him about the Bucks. I don't listen to Tom Jones. I don't believe in that guy. He's no longer on the podcast. But he's always tweeting. I kept waiting at Tom for that. Jones. He is tweeting at Tom Jones. Always, it's like part of his. Uh, well, him and Tom are actually close because you know Tom writes TV and yep. well, Dick's in TV. So <laughs> that's how you get. That's how you get invited to the gala, which I've been invited to, but I haven't gone yet. I really want to do that at some point. Um, Dick's one of the best, and. Uh, you know, we used to talk to him on on the radio regularly as well. But look, he's he's as big a fan he's as big a fan of the Rays as there is. And if that's how he feels about ownership, and you're hearing more and more about this, um, there was uh, also another column by Martin Fenley that you want to check out in the Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com, which is, hey, is this any way to build a stadium? I mean, on the one hand, here you are, you know trying to break ground on a new ballpark that's going to cost, I don't know, how much. I mean, we don't even know that yet. That would be the next step. Have an architect tell you what the actual cost of this thing is going to be, $650, $700 million. Oh, and by the way, how much are the Rays going to put in for that? And all the while, you're asking for, you know, corporate support and community support and tax dollars and these sort of things to make this stadium viable while you're pretty much deciding to, you know, rip up the team and, and, virtually gut it and, and get rid of everybody. And I understand, again, I understand what Eric Neander and those guys are doing. I mean, this is this is a an approach that a lot of teams are taking, the Marlins and others. But, you know, it worked for Cleveland. It worked for Houston. But those teams were able to have a great farm system and identify players and bring them up as young players and keep the core together. And then when they got good, they added to them, and boom, they win a World Series. And that would be great if it works out that way. Um, but it's pain. It's a painful process, and and I still think that that the Rays are still caught in the. They're sort of in between. They're sort of not, you know. Uh, otherwise, I think you would see Archer traded. I think you would see Alex Colomay gone. I think you might, um, you know. We, we mentioned Souza 
getting dealt. Maybe Wilson Ramos is the next guy. I mean, I think you might see a wholesale sell-off, and it still could happen before this season is over. Um, but sort of this drip, drip, drip um, process that they're going through right now, and maybe you know the offseason hindered them with uh, the lack of, of trades and movement. That was going to be my may- point is, is, yeah. is if they are in full rebuild mode and they plan on trading Archer and, and Colome and others, yeah. Is it is it their intention to do it drip wise? Which if that's their intention, my guess is not. It's been the off season. It's been the lack of free agent signings, the lack of movement anywhere in baseball um, that, mm-hmm. that has hindered that plan. If that's their plan, now the devil's advocate side of everything, or the other side of it, is maybe they're trying to tank now so that when they get in a new stadium in four or five years, they have a team built to win. They're really good. Yeah. yeah. That you know, it, it's it's part of that process. Atlanta tried to do that, and they ended up being about a year too late. And I think they'll be okay this year. Um, but they mm-hmm. were rebuilding for a new park and uh, the SunTrust Park up there. And and you know, last year was they did okay. It, it wasn't as bad as the years prior, but they they weren't they weren't ready for prime time yet as far as winning. But I mean, I think that's you know the other part of this model for the Rays is if this if this is is their intention to rebuild that it's in time to get everything ready for a new stadium and so it, it but it's a very painful process and for the fans it stinks and it, and so we're guessing if they if they broke ground you're looking at two you're looking at 3 years to build a stadium you know who hit it just right cuz I I lived it um your Tampa Bay Buccaneers Tony Dungy came in here in 96 and they they got off to a 1 and 8 start um you know, it, it looked like it couldn't have gone worse. It was the last year at uh, Houlihan Stadium, the old, uh, the old sombrero, if you will. And they, but they had a young core players, and they they had gotten a little bit better, and then, then they got really strong at the second half of that season. I think they finished five and three their last eight games, and so they go they go six and ten, something like that, and well, exactly like that. And then um, I think ninety seven that would have been ninety six and ninety seven they make the playoffs. They they close the old sombrero with a, a a win over Detroit uh, in the playoffs, and then boom, they move into the new stadium in '98. So, it, you know, at that point, everybody was all in for the for the Bucks in their new stadium. Every club seat was sold. Remember the hundred thousand waiting list? There really wasn't a waiting list for a hundred, but but you had to pay fifty dollars to get on it. But you know, I mean, everything that was the perfect storm of a team getting good, and then you know, boom. Here comes the new ballpark and everything sold out. So, if they're right, if these young players do come up and you know, two three years into the majors, they start hitting their strides, much like they did, you know, back in '08 and 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 those good years that the race had under Joe Madden. This this could be the perfect storm, and I'm sure that's what they would hope for. I just don't know. I just don't know that. Uh, I don't know that the fans are going to hang in there. I mean, you know, it could actually end up being a, a defeating purpose too if everybody's like. Why do we want to spend taxpayer money on the Rays? They're terrible. They're losing 100 games a year. I mean, I think people have to see the bigger picture. And I think if you, if you, as an organization, if you let them know what the plan is and they can see it, they'll accept it. So at some point this year, it'll be a big year for them to, you know, to get some of the young, younger players like the Brent Honeywells and the Jake Bowers up into the majors. And if they contribute and you can see it, um, then I think people will be accepting of it. Well, I think okay, their, their, so, hope, their hope, too, is is that you know the team last year in Durham won a championship. And that's that, right. That group of players won championships prior to that in, in lower ball. That, and they moved up. Know, yeah. They think they've got a lot of good young players here that while mm-hmm. 
the view is they're tanking. You know, I think their argument is, and you can we're making you room. Can agree or disagree, but we got yeah. some good young players. We also want to see what they can do up here too. Yeah, we're making room. You, I mean, you have to. Um, I, I mean, look, if Levante David's going to eventually be your weak side linebacker, Derek Brooks has to move on. You know, I mean, and I know Levante wasn't here when that occurred, but I'm just saying, let's mm-hmm. let's say that's that's the example, right? You, and I've seen football teams do this. You know, you have to move out veteran players so that your younger stars can can move in there and play. The I mean, Packers that's why did you it with Brett Favre when they had Aaron Rodgers sure. ready to go. Um, sure, it happens all the time in sports. Sure does, and it's you know when they're iconic players like Evan Longoria. I mean, I'm not saying they moved Evan, you know, so they could see Matt Duffy at third base. I mean, I think that was one of those deals where he was going to have a no trade trade clause this year, and he was 32 and hit 20 home runs. I mean, and had a long know, contract pay- left. Yeah, and the and the you know the New England Patriots and everybody raves about the Patriots. They don't make look. They don't make every personnel decisions great. Or Jimmy Garoppolo wouldn't be in San Francisco for a second round pick right now. But I will say this: they would trade a player a year or two early rather than hang on to him a year or two late. And so you know, and they're considered one of the best organizations in sport. So I mean, there is there is sort of a, a method to this madness. And I know all these guys have the analytics and the and the you know the, the uh, Wall Street background and all this stuff. To kind of dive into this and 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 try to predict, like you're selling like you're selling stock, like you're trying stock up, stock down. You know, where's this player? Where's he headed? Are we paying him for what he's done? Are we paying for what he's going to do? So, um, all that is part of the equation. And I think I think at this point, everybody's got, got to take a breath and kind of calm down and realize they haven't played their first spring training game yet. <laughs> Let's just wait and see. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody, but it's been it's been news, right? To try to see exactly what they're doing and get the reaction from fans, and I get it. So uh, I mentioned, uh, or I began to mention that, um, you know, the Buccaneers have a new defensive line coach, and he is somebody that Bucks fans probably remember. He's, he's Brenson Buck- Buckner, who comes over from the Arizona Cardinals. Where- hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We coach the defensive line four or five years, but you may remember Br- Brenson Buckner as part of a really good, towards the end of his career, Carolina defensive line that competed against the Bucks. So we talked to Brenson Buckner uh, for a, a long time over at One Buck Place, so he thoroughly enjoying uh, guy, and, and his interview was very insightful. We want to make sure that you get an opportunity to listen to him, and, uh, and, and he goes through a number of topics, but we'll start with what attracted him to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really playing in this league and actually having the chance to play Against the Tampa Bay Bucks, I'm talking about when they was at their heyday and just seeing the excitement in this town, uh, the fan base, the, the tradition of being a great defensive team, which I sort of marveled at even playing against them, then having the opportunity to come here and reset that foundation, you know, with some uh, great young players, some stalwarts like Gerald McCoy, as I know, you know, three of the most athletic linebackers you're probably going to find in the NFL and having the chance to coach the guys that sort of protect them, you know, I had to jump at the chance. 
jumped at the chance, and you know the fact that he was let go by the Cardinals probably influenced that as well. But um, you know he's a guy that Jason Light knew very well because Jason was the uh, director of player personnel with the Cardinals when Buckner was hired as the defensive line coach before uh, Jason got the job here as the GM of the Bucks. Really interesting story, though. You know, Buckner uh, played a number of years for – he started his career in Pittsburgh. He actually played in a Super Bowl with the Steelers, and that was, you know, that was a team that was certainly known for defense that uh, had hit some lean years and then got back up to uh, the Super Bowl level, level under Bill Cowher. Uh, and so he played in one of those. And then uh, towards the end of his career, he played for the 49ers as well. And towards the end of his career, he ended up uh, with a very good defensive line um, – you know, with the Carolina Panthers, who were just getting, just starting to get going as an expansion team, and then and then they came on, uh, of course, and had success pretty early on. Um, but in 2001, they went uh, one and 15, I think, on, in the first year that he was there. Well, the next year they went seven and nine. Well, that was the year that the NFC South was born in 2002. And who won the NFC South in that first season? I tell you what, man, I remember that year. You know what I mean? John Gruden and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And where was Brenton Buckner when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were starting their playoff run? My first year in Carolina, we went 1-15. Then the next year, they changed the division, and we went 7-9, and and Tampa wins the Super Bowl. So I came right down here for the first home playoff game and sat in the stands and watched. I came and watched. We, me, Chris Jenkins, Mike Rucker, and Julius Peppers, as much as we dislike Warren Sapp and we admired what they did, and I wanted to see what kind of atmosphere they would create when they came out, the energy in which they played with. And to see those guys run out that tunnel on Sunday, you thought it was an earthquake. And I remember calling Mike Rucker from the stands was like, this is what we got to create in Carolina. They're doing this with their front four. It's not the quarterback running out. It's not the star running back. This is the defensive line that's being introduced. And so we would sit back and marvel and what we said, hey, we want to model ourselves after them, but also we want to get to the point where we stand toe-to-toe, we want to be the better model. And that's that's what we did. And I think that's what – it was a mutual respect that created hatred, competitive hatred between one another, but it was all out of respect. We wanted what those guys had created here, and we tried our best to get it. Competitive hatred. That is one term that I have not heard, but I'm going to adopt it because that's pretty that's pretty good, man. I'll tell you, I hated North Carolina Panthers too, you know what I mean, man? And uh, they had a great defensive line uh, for, for a number of years uh, with Brenton Buckner and Mike Rucker and Julius Peppers and, uh, gosh, one other really good player that I'm missing that I can't remember right now uh, that he just mentioned. But, um, you know, they, they continued to, uh, to battle, and, in fact – um, they did so well in copying what the Bucks did, in a sense, and, and people did fear their defensive line, that uh, the next year, because the Bucks won Super Bowl thirty seven, well, guess who played in Super Bowl thirty eight? It was the Carolina Panthers. They lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, but they got there. And so the NFC South was, was back in the bowl uh, the very next year. So it didn't take them long to sort of, uh, sort of measure themselves and, and even uh, excel uh, what they expected just one year later. So Buckner was a guy, you know, these, this era of players, I mean, he's, he's, you know, in the, in that Warren Sapp era, Derek Brooks and those guys, you know, not many of those guys get into coaching. And the reason is, is that uh, generally they've made a lot of money. It's not, it's not a financial uh, hardship. It's not something they have to do. And just the hours. I mean, it's such a grind. Uh, the number of hours that you spend uh, coaching, especially in the NFL. So I asked Buckner, why did you get into coaching? Uh, what really made me want to coach, I couldn't get it out of my blood. As soon as I, as soon as I got done playing, 
I jumped into coaching high school football. And then I went from a D coordinator to a head coach. Then I started training guys. And then I said, oh, I'm going to do the ultimate. I'm going to coach seven to nine-year-olds. And and to be actually the joy of seeing a seven-year-old who come to practice kicking and screaming because he don't want to play and he's grabbing on the tires and he's throwing the fit to three weeks later, he's having fun. He don't want to go home now. And that's the joy you get out of out of coaching. You know, for me as a player, the cameras and all that stuff is – that's that's over with for me. I had enough of that. But the joy of getting a guy to do something that you know he couldn't do and just see the look on his face, even grown men, you know, coming into the league, you you have guys who they feel down on themselves or, man, they say I'm not a good uh, run stopper or a good pass rusher, but you work on it and you give them technique and you make them feel good about doing it. You see them have some success. You see that seven-year-old and that, that grown man faces. So that's the joy I get out about. You no know, guys can change their – their whole history, their time, their family timeline through this game. You have a big, great platform through this game that you play for free as a kid in the park. But now you got this platform where you can touch people and you can change your whole life and your family life. And that's what I get out of coaching. He's also uh, been known as as a, as a real hands-on guy since he played, of course. And, and what Dirk Cutter said today uh, in a release that they gave us was that uh, not only – you know, has Buckner done well with the with the elite players, guys like Calais Campbell, and um, now you saw Chandler Jones led the NFL in, in sacks last year. But he's gotten it out of guys that uh, aren't marquee names as well. And I mean, in the five years he was in Arizona, the Cardinals never had less or fewer than thirty five sacks in a season. And in fact, two years ago they led the NFL in sacks. So he's a guy that gets a lot of production. Although it is different. I mean, back when. When Buckner was playing, when Warren Sapp and those guys and Simeon Rice were playing, there was a lot more contact. There were two-a-days. You were in pads all the time. Now the rules has changed. So how has he adapted to all those changes? I, I think you can because, you know, when I came out, yeah, it was physical. It was a lot of hitting. But coaches put a lot of emphasis on the mental aspect of the game. And that's where I like to attack the game mentally. You know, physically, all these guys got some kind of physical attribute. That's why they're here. What separates the, the good ones, the great ones from the good ones and the average, and the, it's the mental capacity. Can you slow it down? Do I understand this game more and more? No. Do I understand what this guy can do to me so I know what he can't do to me? And so with the new CBA, you sort of attack it from that point of view because you have so much time in the classroom, you want to constantly – train that brain is the strongest muscle in your body you want to get things that they become second nature so you just repeating where it's going to the board talking technique showing it so that now when they see it physically they just react to it okay i just want to correct the one thing i'm not sure the brain is a muscle i know the heart is i could be wrong about that but i understand what he's saying um the other uh thing how you know a guy is a good coach in my my opinion uh is not just the guys that he coaches they're, they're pretty easy to compliment um, you know, you either like a guy or you don't. If he's your position coach, most guys rally around that that player, that coach, uh, particularly somebody as personable as you can hear Buckner is. But how you really know is when players from other positions, like Tyron Matthew and other guys, when Buckner was hired by the by Tampa Bay, they went on Twitter, they complimented him. They think this guy's going to be a defensive coordinator. I wonder how that made him feel. You know, I use the word coach lightly. I'm a teacher, a teacher of life. And that means that means I'm not just teaching life to my guys in my room. It's anybody I come in contact with. And I would stand up in front of the defense and tell the, the defensive line in front of the secondary, don't look crazy if they compete a pass. 
you're closer to the ball than they are when the quarterback has it in his hand. Go make their job easier. And our motto in our D-line room there was, well, let's make everybody's job better. If it's rushing the pass, let's make those defensive backs' jobs better. They got to run all over the field. You shouldn't want them to be tired after the game. And those guys sort of sort of respect that. I never point the finger. I never let my guys point the finger point the fingers and say, oh, we need better coverage. No, we need to get that faster. If Drew Brees is getting rid of the ball in 2.1, we need to get down 1.9. Put it on yourself to wear that hat. And I think those guys sort of respect it because I was genuine. I wasn't doing it to kiss up to them. I was just doing that as – if you're going to be the big guys, the big dogs out there, you got to wear the red hat every down, every snap, no matter what phase of the game it is. I love that about him. I love the accountability for the defensive line, and that's the way it's been in Tampa Bay in the past when they were very, very good. You know, the big guys get to ride in first class usually because, well, they're bigger guys. But if you're going to drive the bus, you got to do it from the front, and that's what the defensive line does. I think Buckner understands that. Now, of course, when Buckner was with Arizona, that's been a house of horrors out there. Uh, at the Big Toaster out in Glendale, Arizona. So Jameis Winston went out there a couple years and had some of his worst games. I mean, he threw four interceptions uh, a couple years ago in week two in a 40-7 to loss, was sacked three times, lost a fumble. Then last year, I think he uh, you know, didn't last very long in that game. They were trailing, oh gosh, I don't know, 24 to nothing pretty early. And in fact, it was Chandler Jones who knocked him out, if you recall, and, and damaged and hurt his shoulder, which became a big story for the year. But Buckner got to see a lot of Jameis Winston. What did he think of him? Well, first of all, you see those big five guys <laughs> turn around and run out that huddle. That's one of the biggest offensive lines that that, that we would we would face. And, and and we knew that there was gonna be a physical run game just based on playing in the NFC South and the type of mentality it takes to play in this this division. You know, and we knew we had our hands uh, tied behind our back. You had to be physical. You had to be willing to stick your face in the fan and be physical with those with those guys and stand toe-to-toe. But then also we knew that we were going to have to move Jameis. You know, you were going to have to affect him because that guy, uh, I tell people all the time, I was at his pro day when he came out, and it's I'd never seen a guy spin the ball like that in person. And I've always been impressed with him, even coming out of high school. And I know he's a charismatic leader. You know, we we wanted to get to him and and just try to affect him. But we knew he was going to keep on coming, throwing his fastball. And that's the one thing that we always respected with him. But we knew we had to go out there and we had to try try to make Tampa one-dimensional. You know, I mean, whether it's take the pass away and make them try to force it down your throat. But we knew we could not give Jameis time because if he had times with his wide receivers, he's he's going to pick you apart. And I remember having great success early in the game. And they said, well, all right, we're going to come go no huddle. And it was boom, 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 boom. And now you're on the sideline cussing. Like, what what just happened? But those are the type of weapons that Temple had and those are the type of problems that he presented as a great young quarterback. Yeah, well, mission accomplished there because they contained Jameis and they did get him to move his feet. And they didn't have much success against that Cardinals defense. But now it's not just the Buccaneers that uh, Buck has to be worried about here. Buckner has to now be worried about the uh, slew of NFC South quarterbacks, guys like Drew Brees and Cam Newton and uh, Matty Ice. What does he think of those guys? Not getting much sleep (laughs) because each one of them poses a different problem. You know, you have Cam Newton who stands out there and look at your defensive ends 
eye to eye. Sometimes look down at him. And he can run and throw the ball. And he makes you play 11 on 11 football. So that's a problem with, within itself. Then you go down there and you go to Drew Brees. You no, know, all right, you're taller than him, but you never get a chance to touch him because he's so smart. He plays the game here. And you know that you got to be on your P's and Q's as far as taking away pass passing lanes and not giving him so much time, but then you can't get so in depth where you're going to get him, and now they got a two-headed monster run game, so they become even more balanced. Then you go down in, in, into Atlanta where Matty Ice is Matty Ice. You, you know what I mean? He can go from being, well, he can't hit he can't connect on a pass, and all of a sudden he com- completes 20 in a row. He throws seven touchdowns because Julio Jones in that running game. So, you know, you got to be on your P's and Q's, and you got to always make sure you're at your best because one thing all three of those guys seem to do, whenever you're lacking, they find that. They find that. So it can't be, well, oh, I'm going to take this playoff or I didn't stay enough. You got to go out there and mentally beat them. I mean, you got to know exactly what they're going to do, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what can bother them. But then you got to make sure you're in a physical enough shape where you do it every play because they're such great talents that one time you're out of position, that's when they take advantage of you. Yeah, like Julio Jones did last year with the Atlanta Falcons and his 250-something yards. So Buck's got his work cut out for him, that's for, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, let's face it, I, I mean, I don't think – I think there's going to be mostly a rebuild of this defensive line. Uh, they still have Gerald McCoy, as Buck said. You know, there's 31 other teams. That, that's a pretty good place to start with a six-time Pro Bowl player. We don't know about Noah Spence. He's coming off that shoulder injury. He seems to be their best hope right now as an edge rusher. But, again, he, you know, missed all but three games a year ago. And they're still waiting to see, you know, is Robert Ayers going to be back on this team? You'd think William Golston would be, but you don't know for sure. And they're going to have to go out and, and deal with some free agents like Clinton McDonald and others uh, that they would either bring back or bring guys in here and then the draft. So there's a long way to go, and it was the first day that uh, the Buckner was, was in the building. But he has been there long enough to try to get an idea from Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith just what their vision is and what his vision is for this Buccaneer defensive line. The division for this defensive line is be physically and mentally tough. When you turn on that film, you're going to see four guys recklessly attacking the guy in front of them like their life depended on him. And when they can't do it, the next guy behind them is going to come in and do it. And we're going to work well together. We're going to hunt until the whistle, to the whistle blow. We don't want nobody to feel comfortable because all week long, that offensive line has told that coach and that quarterback and that running back, we can run this play and we can block those guys. And we're going to take that personally. And we're going to go out there. We're not going to go uh, looking for a fight. We're going to go invite a fight when that ball is snapped because we want to be vicious and we want to play that way. We want our play to precede us when we walk into a stadium. We don't want to say, what are the Bucks going to give us today? We know when the Bucks step on the field, it's going to be a battle. We might not win them all, but your training room is going to look like we did. (laughs) That's a drop the mic moment. That was his last response. I loved it. Uh, Your training room will look like we did. So uh, that's that's Buck's mentality. And I can see why they were impressed by him. I can see um, certainly, you know, with the 22 sacks last year, last in the league, why they made a change, even though the timing was odd. They really think that uh, Brenton Buckner can bring a lot to this defensive line. And, and knowing the guys that are coming back on that team, I think I think he has the perfect combination of, of having been a successful head coach and a pretty successful player. And so he walks into that meeting room with uh, a lot of cachet. And, and a lot of experience that uh, he can bring to that defensive line. So uh, I thought it was a very interesting uh, interview, and we wanted to bring that uh, to you. Thanks for joining us. That's it for this edition of the uh, Sports Day Tampa Bay podcast. We invite you 
uh, to join us each and every day, Monday through Friday, to get the latest in Tampa Bay sports. And we will be here for you uh, for that. You can always reach us, too. We want your feedback on Twitter, at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud, or uh, email rstroud at tampabay.com. And, Steve, we want them to uh, also give us uh, their ratings and reviews, if they could, too, as well. Yeah, subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on anywhere you get podcasts, So whether it's iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, any third-party apps, of course. TampaBay.com slash sports always has the latest episodes, and they're on SoundCloud as well. Please rate and review. Please do. Thanks for joining us. I uh, hope you have a, a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.